to do what you're telling us to do, that we should take one step together and just watch the things that you do. It'll be more of a blessing to us than it could ever be to them. So in Jesus' name, God, please, move on the hearts of the people that you want to do this. You already know who they are. Bring them. And now, in Jesus' name, God, we just pray for Jan and her trip. We ask you to protect her. We ask you to hold her. We ask you to bless her. We ask it to be a time of incredible joy, of incredible fulfillment of the kinds of things that only you can do. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Love you, Jan. Aww, thank you. you. Thanks Love for you. everybody who's been a part of this throughout all these years. Thank Amen. you. Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. Okay. I talked last week about the two hires that we're looking at right now, Shane, who was here, and John Banks, who's coming. John, John will be around on Wednesday night, so if you see a guy wandering around like he doesn't know what he's doing, say hi, okay? All right? Now, with that, then, we're going to go ahead and get started on the sermon, so go ahead and, and uh, you know, start the clock for me and all that stuff, guys. Uh, you're here on a good day, okay? Not because of my birthday. Thank you very much for all the well wishes of, for my birthday, but... but uh, this is, a, this is a culminating day. I mean, it seems like every week is another, yet another peak in the Lord. So I'm sure next week will be even more so. But, but right now, we literally, God has literally taken us to the most important chapters in all the Scripture. Romans 1, 8 through, or 1 through 8. This, these are the most important chapters in all the Bible. All of the Old Testament cannot be understood properly absent what is revealed in Romans 1 through 8. You cannot understand it right. In fact, you will think that you understand it, and by doing so, you'll get it all wrong, which is what Romans 1 through 8 is about, making us to understand something that we thought we understood, and in fact, it was incredibly different than what we understood. Okay? You, you could say, well, surely, Kurt, you know, the Gospels are pretty important, and you know, that First John, the Word was God, and God was the Word, and all that, and, and that last discourse. Surely those are pretty important chapters, and boy, are they. But here's the deal. Now watch. You can't really understand what Jesus did until you get to what God revealed to Paul in Romans 1 through 8. You don't really understand what Jesus did. In fact, without Romans 1 through 8, you'll get Jesus wrong too. Paul's going to show us that. God's going to show us that. I want to show you how much I mean this. This is what happened. Well, yeah. Uh, I know it's not beyond here. Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether it's in my body or outside my body. I do not know. But I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart, and I can support it in the longer way if you ever wanted me to. But I believe with all my heart that if Paul had not gone and had this moment, he wouldn't have had Romans 1 through 8 either. He got it at that moment, because all of a sudden he saw everything different than what it was before. Everything. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go see what Paul, what God does through Paul at this moment in time. So here's our prayer. 
Oh, Greg Thatcher, what a perfect person to be praying this. Where, where is he? Is he here? Oh, there you are. Okay. So, so Greg, who leads worship, for, I saw your wife somewhere else. Isn't, are you guys having a little problem that we need another? Oh, my. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Greg, here's a guy, here's a guy who says his entire life has been exactly what we're talking about today, living in the new thing that God's doing. Wow. That's you. So Thanks. what a perfect person to be praying for this. So Thanks. pray for this. Lift up another church. Okay. Would you extend your hand towards Kirk right now? Lord, we ask a blessing on our pastor for his birthday. Lord, passing into the 60s club. It <laughs> should help him and renew him and uh, revitalize him, Father, and make the place where your spirit is even deeper still Thank you, in the new year. In Jesus' name. Thank Father, we ask today that you would increase and that we would decrease because of what's spoken to us today from your word. Lord, deepen our, the place of our spirit. And Lord, we pray for, uh, I pray for the church in Ukraine as well as Belarus. Father, that in Jesus' name, they would hear you. They would not hear, Lord, the things around them, but they would hear you and move on and embrace you, Father. Speak to the church there as well as around the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in order to catch us all up and to see how much God has us right at this moment, I have to do a quick little history of what God's done at this church over the last two years. A year ago, at the very beginning of the year, God spoke to me about, it was when Eastlake decided to become inclusive. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. But the bottom line is there was a moment that happened, and God said, this is the moment at which, having pushed me away, and continue to push me away, and me and my love and my grace, I have continued to, to cover that. There's a moment where in his love, he lets things slip. He lets the culture drop. We think of that as being God in his bony finger judging people. That's not what it is. Understand, when God lets us slip, if we're pushing him away, when God lets us slip a little further away, here's what he's doing right here. It's the story of Israel with Egypt. And here's what happens. Israel has been given the land up here in the Med. Okay, and am I doing it right for you guys? It's up here in the Med. Here's the Med, and here's the land that God has given them, and down here is Egypt. Now, there's a famine up here, and so what ends up happening is, is that God says, look, he, through Joseph and that thing that happens where the brothers sell him and all that, they go down here, and they're saved from the famine, but it turns out to be a test. And here's why. As the second most important man in all of Egypt... Joseph gives the most fertile lands of the Nile. The Nile is picking up all this topsoil and depositing it right down here as it goes into the Med, and that's the land that the Israelites get. So it is incredibly fertile land. It looks very, very good to the eye. And what God wanted the people to do is to say, as good as this looks, I don't want what looks good to me. I want what you know is better for me. And that's the land that you promised me. And so the question that we have for the Israelites is, when the famine was over, why didn't you go to what God had? And the thing that it reveals is what we all do. We all pick the things that we want. And when we first get them, understand, they always are good. When, when, when God lets the culture slip, the first reaction with people is, I get what I want, I'm happy. People feel happy. They feel like they're getting what they want. It's just that it has this funny way over time of turning into bondage, slavery. 
Anybody know that from any of the vices that you've picked up, besetting sins? When you first started doing them, they felt real good. They were fun, right? What's the problem? This is good. And then one day you're going, why can't I stop? What the heck is going on? You become a slave to something. Okay? That's the lesson that God taught us there. And what he's doing, what, when he lets things slip, what he's always doing is he's hoping that when it comes to that, I know what I chose and I know why I chose it, but then it led to something that I didn't see, an unintended consequence. And now that I see that that's what happens, I repent. That's what he's trying to get us to. He's trying to get us, he's not saying, I'm going to judge you because you're doing bad and, you know, I hate it when you do bad things. What he's saying is, I hate it for you. Yeah, not you. <laughs> I hate it for you. It takes you into a bondage, and he hates that for you. So he's trying to deliver you from that by letting you experience that where you'll come back to God and say, it turns out that I don't see the things that you have for me, and I choose the things that I do see. And that works to a bad place, so I need to choose differently. Now what happened is that was all last year that God was doing this and showing us how that worked out in all these different ways. And then what he did was, whenever the culture slips, this is the beginning of this year, whenever the culture slips, Christians go too. We get caught up in the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist. We get caught in that spirit of the age, and we slip too. And, but, and the problem is, is as we're slipping and when we start seeing it, we start saying, how do I get out of this? And here's what God said at the beginning of the year. Just simply obey me. If, if, if as you're slipping, if you will just stop thinking about it, if you'll stop overthinking it, if you'll stop trying to figure it out, if you'll stop trying to understand all the reasons, if you'll just simply obey whatever I'm telling you, I'll start bringing you out of what you're sliding into, and then you'll start seeing the difference between what I have and what this is. And when you see that, it makes an enormous difference in your life. When you start choosing God over the things that look good to your eyes, you start seeing, oh my gosh. See what I mean? So it takes you to this really, really wonderful place. But then we discovered something. By the time we hit Easter, what we discovered was is it's hard to simply obey. You know, let me, let me make something clear. If you're a casual believer, if you don't really, you know, if you think you... It, if you're the kind of person that sort of has rearranged your doctrine in order to meet your wants, most of this sermon is going to go Because this is for people that are really trying to get it right. They're, they're saying, there's this disconnect between God and me. There's this something that's happening, and I'm trying to get it right. And here's what happens when you really try and get it right. It's not cruel of God at all. Wait till you're here. But the first stage, it was rather odd, and this is what it is. The more that you try and get it right, for real, I mean honestly and for the more that you stop thinking it's just about your behavior, and the more you start trying to get it right in your heart, the more that you discover that there's this onion that has an, an infinite layer of stuff, and it makes you cry more and more. <laughs> because you start going, oh my God, there's no end to the wants that I have that are not actually God's. See it? So here's what God's been talking to us since Easter. How to change your wanter. How to get your wanter to want what God wants. How to stop wanting what you want. How to start wanting what God wants. Wanting. It's not about behaving. We're going to see all this. But you see what God's been doing with us for the last two years? Now here's what happened. Two weeks ago, we had a Mother's Day, and we had somebody scheduled to preach, and then she couldn't at the last minute, and 
And that's something we're praying about, but bottom line, because we wanted to be healed, but bottom line, what happened was, is that Rod Carlson was in town, and he had just memorized Romans 4 through 8. And I knew, I'd already, I'd already done my sermon. I'd already done part one. Remember three weeks ago, I called it part one. And I said there was a part two. And guess what part two was? Romans 1 through 8. <laughs> so Rod Carlson says, hey, I got Romans 4 through 8. And here's my problem with Romans. Here's, here's the issue I think we get messed up with. If you care about Bible, if you care about theology, you study Romans, and here's how you study it. Every single word means so much that you've got to spend a lot of time in every single word. And believe me, that's true. You can spend your whole lifetime in Romans. But here's the problem. You can get so into the tree that you lose the forest. And so we never hear Romans. Nobody would ever try and do Romans 1 through 8 in one sermon. Only stupid old men would do that. But we're going to do Romans 1 through 8 because we're, I'm going I'm to show you this. There's a sweep to Paul's argument. That was a letter that was written by God through Paul to be read. Just like he did with us, but we're going to take it apart a little bit today. Okay, now you get it. We can't go into all the details because there's so much in there. And I love a close study of Romans. But a close study will lead you to a deeper appreciation of its sweep. And that's what we're going to see today. So with that in mind, here we are. We're starting at Romans 1. Here's how it starts. Heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. By the way, that's the, this is the principle that we're going after is there's things that you know and you think that that's what there is. It's the stuff you don't know that you want to go after. Because that's so much better than anything you know. It's ridiculous. Things that are too wonderful. Now, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God clearly sees invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Real simple. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. God has left his evidence and his witness everywhere, and if you will simply look, you will find him. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do any of that to know that there's a God and, frankly, to learn an awful lot about him, what his nature and his character is. Look at creation and the bounty of creation. You're seeing who God is, a bountiful God who brings abundance, all kinds of stuff, right? But here's what we, we push away that truth for the things that we want. This is Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So he's starting right at Adam and Eve. This is what they did. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship it as God or even give him thanks. They begin to think up foolish ideas. It's not just Adam and Eve. Read it as you and me. As Christians too, by the way. They begin to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. As a result, their minds become dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desires. See, that's the letting it slip so that they'll have a consequence so that they'll see what the problem is. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Women turn against the natural ways to have sex, instead indulge with sex with each other. The men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burn with lust for each other. Now, this is not an LGBTQ sermon at all. If you want to know how I feel about this or any of that, there's three sermons that are on the web right in a row. We did part one, part two, part three. They were done at different times. But please go look at that for a much more in-depth. This is not about that. Okay? So right now, when I say those words, there's one of two reactions. One is people that think that 
people should be able to marry whoever they want. And so they really struggle with the church saying what they say. And right now you're upset and you don't want to listen to me anymore. Well, please understand, I'm with you what's in Scripture. But I want you to see something. The other reaction, by the way, is people that can do this. Well, I don't, I don't have that problem and see, so you can judge them. But look where God takes that Scripture. I want you to see where he goes with it in Romans. Because he goes to a very interesting place with it. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. <laughs> you see what he does? He's saying, is there a problem there? Yes, there's a problem. He didn't say there wasn't a problem. What he said was, is you got one too. So before you start pointing the finger, realize what's pointing back at you. When you're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you judge others and yet you do the very same things. Now, is it the same exact sin? No. Is it sin? Yes. You do stuff too. Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get everybody in the same pot. He's trying to say there's something going on in mankind which is so deeply broken that it doesn't matter what the flavor of sin you like is, we all like some flavor. And we figured out how to get it and think that we're somehow right with God. You see that? We all play that game. There's a problem here. So what's he do? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Now listen to this. You, you need to understand these words that are uttered next, if you really get the context of them, in the Christian world, in a world that's been influenced by Christianity, we hear these words and they do not have the bang that they have. I love that cello thing that Adam did and then the word that was given by Amy about let the Holy Spirit resonate within you. That's what's really happening right here. Let the Holy Spirit resonate within you even more and more as we get going. But the point is, I want you to get a hold of how radical these next words are. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That is not how religions work. It is not kindness that turns you from God. It's wrath. That's how religions work. And it's just Christianity. It's every religion on the face of the earth. What every religion does is they recognize the religious impulse that comes from mankind, the reason why we make up all these religions, is because we know that there is a, there's a distance between us and God. Something's wrong. And what we do is, is we figure if something's wrong, if there's a disconnect between we did something wrong and we've got to get back to him. I've got to do something to make this right because God is mad at me. That's the disconnect I feel. This is the first time in history that anything like this has been said. Because what's being said is, it's kindness that turns you from sin. <laughs> you see it? It isn't this wrath thing. It isn't, it isn't, well, I did something bad. This is how stupid and perverse we are. Whenever we do, particularly as Christians, when we do something wrong, there's this part in us that really wants God to slap our wrists somehow. Because somehow that makes us think, okay, now it's been paid for. Forgetting the fact that maybe it had paid for. You've got to understand this principle, and we don't, as Christians, we do not get this. Here's the principle that's being said. God stands outside of time. You know what that means? 
when he loved you and decided to come and die for you, he saw everything you did. He didn't just see the stuff you did up until the time that you chose Christ, the stuff you can see, because after all, that's on the other side now. He saw the stuff you're still going to do. <laughs> that onion being peeled back and continuing to screw up. He saw all of it. And here's what's the response to all of your sins. Because this is not our response to it. Our response is, at the very least, our response is, is I know God loves me because the Bible tells me that, it loves, that he loves me, but you need to understand, see, this besetting sin that I have has driven such a wedge between me and God that, of course, he has to let me into heaven. Notice how it's only people that really care about being close to God that are able to really resonate with this. Because if you really care about being close to God, you know that there's an issue. And so what you say is something like this. When I get to heaven, see, God has to let me in because he said he would and everything else. But, you know, there's like these people that didn't, I did, and they get to be really close to him. I don't even really want to be really close to him because, my God, what would he say if he saw me? Yeah? And here's what he says. I loved you so much that I gave my one and only son so that everybody who was in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he said. I love the message. We're going to use it a couple times right here. But the message, I love it because it kind of gives us a fresh. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be... By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. He looked at the whole of your life outside of time. He looked at every single thing, the things I haven't even entered your mind that you're going to do. He looked at all of that and said, I love you. That is not how we look at ourselves. <laughs> is it? Two years ago, three years ago now, God took a long time to bring us a revelation. And the revelation was this. Here's what Christians do. We get saved, and when we finally get saved, and we realize, oh my gosh, all these things that I didn't see before, I was blind, now I see. I see all of this stuff, and oh my gosh, all these incredible things that God did. So now I see all of that stuff, right? And then what we do is we spend the rest of our Christian lives trying to make it to where we no longer need a Savior. Because I'm going to behave so well that he doesn't need to save me anymore. <laughs> Here's what God says about it. You can't behave that well. You don't even begin to understand who you are. You don't even have the first clue, really. You keep thinking about don't smoke or drink or hang out, don't smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do. <laughs> That's where you are. Here's what he's saying. Here's how I feel about you. The high priest understands our weaknesses. He faced the same testings we do. Yeah, he didn't give in to them like we do in, in some capacities, in some degrees. Some things we get victory on, but some things we don't. So let us come boldly to the throne of, of who? Our angry God is going to forgive you anyway? Our gracious, loving God, there we will receive mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it. What, is, what do you think that's saying? It's saying as Christians, when we need help and we go to him for help, he'll give us help. <laughs> the, again, the way the message says it's so beautiful. We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all. 
So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Take the mercy of forgiveness. Accept the help to show you something that gets you to a place that you do not know. You see what he's going after? Over and over and over he's going after this. In fact, to the point that this is the way that Paul says it in another place again, God through Paul. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus' Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as you've seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. Nobody did. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is, we spend our lives after salvation trying to make it to where we don't need a Savior. That's what he's saying. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ, the good news. But here's what the problem is. We've heard the good news, but it hasn't become understood by us in the Romans 1 through 8 way. And so the God that we're serving is really kind of a of, a, of an amalgam, of sturdized virgin, excuse the language, of this old guilt and shame, angry God, religious impulse. And we end up painting God with that same brush. So here's what God's going to do through Paul. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law. Okay? And you boast about your special relationship because I was born Jewish and he chose us. You know what he wants. You know what's right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in Aren't you wonderful? You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others to steal, but do you steal? It's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? Maybe you didn't actually sleep with somebody else in your marriage, but how many ways have you committed adultery in your life? Do you do that? Do you, do you, do you judge the adulteress, adulterers, and yet you're doing it all the time? Do you look on a woman with lust? Sorry, guys, we're... You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but you use the items stolen from pagan temples. (laughs) You use all kinds of idolatrous stuff. How many do we have in this culture? Right? You are not a true Jew. You were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through circumcision. That's not why. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. See where he's going here? Look, we're in chapter 2. Don't worry, it'll pick up the pace. We're in chapter 2. And right here he's saying it's a matter of the heart. True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. A change of heart produced by the Spirit. What's he saying right there? He's foreshadowing where he's going to get to, and where he's going to get to is the revelation that he got in heaven about what's really going on here. That's where we're going. All people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. 
as he, whether Jews or Gentiles, remember the power of sin, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. No one's seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why? Because do it. <laughs> not that we don't do some of it, but we don't keep it. And worse, we don't keep it in the heart that God wants us to keep it. That's the issue. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Now listen, just please hear this. You are a Jewish person and the law is everything to you. And Paul would have the gall to say to you, you can be made right without keeping the requirements of the law. <laughs> this is completely radical. And it's not just radical for the Jewish person that's under the law. It's radical for every person who has ever lived, who's ever had a religious impulse in them. There is something else going on entirely than what you think. You need to see what's going on. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. He's going to explain what that means. For everyone has sinned all, falls short of God's glorious standard. Let me rephrase that. We fall short of the things that we have not yet seen are the glorious things that God wants to bring us. You see what I'm saying? Let me repeat that because this is very important. Here's what we fall short of. Not that God has such honor we can't possibly meet it. It's that God has glory and we don't know what it is. We don't, know, we don't even know that that's out there. And what he's saying is if you did know that it was out there, if you really felt it, if you really got it, it's the only thing that you would want but we don't want it because we don't know it. So we don't go after it. We go after what we want. See it? This is not complicated. This is Romans. You take classes, multiple classes on this in seminary. You can get this. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. We're going to get a second. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? In other words, did you do something that God, maybe you maybe did some wrong things that God had to cover you, but surely you did some good things and so that God likes you a little bit more. Because we do that too, right? I did something good and so now God likes me more. It wasn't you that did it. We're going to find that out in a second. Or it was, but anyway, you'll see. It's based on, we're made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. Watch where he goes here. Abraham, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation, what did he discover about being made right with God? Do you remember the story? Real quickly. Abraham is in his 80s. God comes to him, and his wife's only a couple years below. Okay? Comes to him and says, you're going to have children that are as numerous as the stars and the sand. Now, for God to say that to Abraham and Abraham to believe it, okay, yeah, I'm being the old guy. Maybe that could happen. Does anybody have an 80-plus-year-old grandma that they think is going to have a kid? Anybody? This was kind of a big deal that he believed in. If his good deeds had made him accept for God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. Listen, Abraham believed God, and God counted it righteous as faith. Do you understand, in the Bible, this is one of the most fascinating places in all of Scripture, do you understand that about that principle right there, James comes along, 
James is the brother of Jesus, and I love the book of James, and I believe it belongs in the Bible, unlike Martin Luther and others. But the bottom line is, I believe it belongs in the Bible. But do you realize that James makes, that, that when Paul's saying this, he's talked to James and people from James? Do you realize he's confronting them and their understanding of how things work? Because he is. Because here's what James said. The reason why Abraham was made right with God was because when he was 100 and his wife was, what, 98 or whatever she was, and his wife, when they were both really old, they had a kid. And then when that kid got to the age of accountability, God said, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, James says, went up there and was willing to kill the promised child. 100 years old, think this is going to happen again? And so he says, see right there. James says, see right there. There it is, right there. See it? That's, that's Abraham's righteousness. That's the moment at which he gets counted righteous. But here's what Paul's saying. Was it then? That would have been when he was about 113. You know when it happened? When he was in his early 80s. That's when he got declared righteous. I know that some people are going to look at me because I just said something bad about James. Would you do me a favor? Would you let that pass for the moment? <laughs> and if you want about it, would you please? Because it's very, very interesting, and we're not going to take the time to go through that right now. But this whole thing of how to understand Scripture in the fullness of what God's doing, it's so much more nuanced. It's so much more rich and full than what we read it. We read it superficially, and we miss. There are conflicts all the time in the Scripture. And God wants us to learn from the conflicts. So having said that, talk to me about James if, you, if, that, if what I just said bothered you. And trust me, as a, I have a very good friend who's a pastor who's really upset for me for having said things like this. So you can be upset too, okay? But here's what I want you to see. Here's the, here's the Paul's making. Here's the point that God showed Paul. When did Paul get declared righteous? What does righteous mean? Standing right with him. Standing right beside him. Standing right with him. That's what we want to be, right? Not really. We don't, it turns out. But that's what he wants. He wants us standing right there with him. He wants to promise, love us. Us to put our arms around him, love him. This is what he's going for. And what he's saying is, is he's saying, Abraham, when he was told in his 80s that he was going to have children, even though his wife was way past the age, even then, that people had kids, here's what he did. I really believe that. To the point, so the promise by faith is given as a free gift. We're all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, Abraham is the father of all who believe. Listen to this. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. That's what God saw. What did God see? Did he see an that Abraham did? Okay, yes. Who said yes? Love you. Yes. But let's, let's just go, the religious impulse is, I've got to, it's the sacrificing of the son that's the moment at which I get to the righteous. Here's what God sees, the heart. And what was the heart of Abraham? I really believe anything you say, you'll do. I really believe that. Watch, this is our principle that we're doing today. Did he trust what his eyes could see? Because what are his eyes telling him? Love you, Sarah, but you're old. <laughs> right? They even tried it another way. <laughs> right? Now, he believed 
Just what it says right here. In fact, his faith grew stronger and his knowledge brought glory to God. He was fully convinced and able to do whatever he promises. And what he was thinking in his, his head did not matter. It's what God was thinking in his that mattered. And that's what he was choosing. You see what he chose? He chose to believe God, not the world. That's it right there. He chose to believe God, not the world. Is this good? So the promise is, uh, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, sacrifices. Because of our faith, God us into a place of undeserved privilege, grace. We did not earn it. If you believe what Jesus did for you, it's counted unto you as righteousness. If you thank Jesus, God, for what he did by sacrificing himself, if you thank him for that, then you're standing right with him. See it? Where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's love. Now listen. He's gotten to his point here. And to people that are, that are steeped in the law, he's taken up, but he, it's a big point. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. It was not given to make you right. It was given to make you see how wrong you were. Let me change that. It was given to show you how broken you were. There were ten simple little words. It wasn't like a lot. You know, four of them were just keep God right. And the other ones were like, things we all agree on, you know, don't kill and speak, steal and cheat and do all that kind of stuff, right? This wasn't like hard to do. And we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do it? We're getting to the wanter now. As people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. See, the more they sinned, the more they recognized that they were sinning, the more they understood that it was what the problem was, the more they started to learn God's Grace and love for them. Wow, that's not how it's supposed to work. When I do wrong, they're not supposed to hate me or be mad at me or make me do some jump through some hoops to get right with them again. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, now watch. See, this is really simple. See, somebody who just doesn't get this law thing not being what they think it should be, which is to get you to do right, and we can do right if we just buck up enough, if we're just strong enough. Do remember, Paul was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. If anybody could get it right, Paul could. And Paul's the one that said, not only was I not getting it right, I was actually killing the people that were. <laughs> right? So that's how wrong I was. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? See, that's the logic of it, Right? Of course not. Look, we've died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? Now, there's a theological point he's going to make right now, and then he's going to get to a practical application. Here's the theological point. Something happened in you that killed the sin in you. This is the law. Have you forgotten that when we were joined to Christ in baptism, give me your baptism testimonies, we joined him in his death. We died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. 
the sin was crucified and buried. We're no longer slaves to sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. Don't let sin control the way you live. Now, right here, he's just flipped from the theology. The theology is something has happened in you which has made it to where you don't ever have to obey that old thing again. And we're going to get to what that something is in a second. But here's the truth. We're still doing it as Christians. We're still making the same mistakes. But don't. Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Is Paul saying it's okay to sin? Clearly not. He's just trying to tell us how to actually get to where you don't. And that's by doing something quite different than what we think, which is buck up. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't realize that you become slaves of whatever you choose to obey? Anybody know that one? You know, as a Christian, you choose to do something and it feels good, but it gets its hooks in you. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. When we were controlled by our, the first time he uses this term, and this, we're getting right to the heart of it now. We were controlled by what? Old nature. What does that mean? There must be a new nature. That's what he's getting to. This is the victory. This is the real good news. The, uh, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires. It produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Here's what he's saying about the law. You, you who think that you can get right by obeying the law, it turns out the law makes you worse. It doesn't just show you how bad you are. It makes you want to do it even more. Because <laughs> that's how broken we are. Right? It says don't walk across the grass. And there's some of us in this room that when you see the sign, don't walk across the grass, I have no idea who you are. You must be from a different, you know, a different world. Because most people, when they see don't walk across the grass, it's don't tell me what to do. Something, right? Now, thank God there's plenty of people that don't walk across the grass and we get good green grass. But go to any, go to any college where they put those nice green grass and all those things around it, and the shortest path to every classroom is well-worn, Right? But now we've been released from the law, for we died only kept it to his power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way, old nature of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of doing what? Living in the spirit. Well, it gets better than this. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to cover it, the power of law came, the power of sin came to life. I died, so I discovered the law's command, supposed to bring life, brought death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. And here's the moment. Here's, here's the thing. That thank God we have Paul. I really don't understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. This is not Paul pre-Christian. This is Paul as a Christian. Anybody else can relate to that? Something in your life somewhere? Now he's going to show you how to get out. But first he's got to do something. He's got to show you something's going on. I know if what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law that it's good. And then he says the stupidest thing ever, the one that Dana Carvey makes all kinds of fun of. So I am not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. 
blame it on somebody else. Actually, in this case, you get to do that. I know that nothing good lives in me that's in my sinful nature, the old nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. If I do what I don't want to do, really the one doing wrong, it's the sin living in me that does it. Remember what I told you? What is, what is everything about what we're working on right now? Changing your wanter. You think he's talking about changing your wanter here? You see what I'm talking about? We've come to a place where he's showing us how to change your wanter. Want, I want, I want, I want. <laughs> good and bad. You got to change your wanter. How do you change your wanter? I've discovered a principle that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with, with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is so dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind? I really want to obey God's law. But because of the sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What? Isn't that kind of a leap all of a sudden? Why is there no condemnation? Because there's two natures. Because there's an old one and a new one. Jesus said this in his last discourse, John 17, John 14. He talked about this. He talked. It was talked about in the Old Testament. I'll make you new. But nobody ever understood what it really meant. In fact, as Christians, we don't understand what it really means. Because here's what it really means. You have a new nature. You're a new creation. In fact, what's the nature of that creation? Right here. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, this is Paul again, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, new stuff. You don't really get it. You know the old stuff. That's why you keep getting attracted to it. But there is new stuff. In fact, this is the way Peter says it. Let's do Paul, Peter, and John. Is that a pretty good try to think about how we're supposed to think about things? Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from a mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. This is the way John says it. Anyone who's been born of God does not sin. What do you mean you don't sin? Of course I sin. In fact, just right before this, John has said, if you say you don't sin, you don't understand nothing. But you've got to understand something else too. In your new nature, his seed is not able to sin. Why? Because it's him. He's birthed himself in you. And can God sin? No. So how do you stop sinning? Start living according to the new nature. Understand that as much as you try and buck up, it's just the old crap. What you've got to do is go to the Lord and let him start doing what he's just about to say. But let me just take you to this door for a second. Here's what's going on right now. If, you, if everybody was dead on to this part of this door, right? So you were looking straight down this door so that right now I see nothing behind this door as I'm looking at it. And just picture yourself, no matter where you are sitting, that you're seeing right here. Now, this is the way we are in our religious impulse. Here's what God has done through Romans 1 through 8. He's tilted it so that we see it differently. We see that there's a whole lot of stuff behind there that we didn't understand. Keep remembering this principle. There's a whole lot of stuff behind there that we didn't understand. 
now that he showed us that there's something behind there that we didn't understand, he's going to tell us, excuse me, how to live that way. And I don't know if I can pull this off. Can you see this? I'll stand back far enough that you might be able to still see me both ways. But I, I read Romans 8. In fact, uh, we're going to get to do it. I, Tyler's looking down. I should call on him. But Chappelle, come up here and help read these for me, would you? This is one of my two beautiful daughters. Okay, this is Chappelle. Thank you for coming back. Okay, now I'm going to act this out as she reads this. So you just read it, and when I need you to stop, you'll get it. Okay, sorry about this. I should have, I should have asked you in advance. I have a rule for everybody, and I didn't follow with my own daughters. So, all right, all right. Now, okay, so just start reading this to me. Those now, who are dominated by the sinful nature think now, about sinful now things. Sinful nature over here. This old nature, old world, old stuff. This is new nature. You guys are the new creation. You guys, sorry. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. See, I put my mind over here. Go ahead. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Okay. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Got it? For is the this sinful really nature you? is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And remembrance that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Keep going. Next one. <laughs> and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of the sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. One more. <laughs> so you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Thank you. <laughs> Let me show you this. That this is all that she just read. All creation, which includes me, is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal to his children who we really are. Set us free from the corruption. That old man still is there. It's dead, but it still influences. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. At 60, I understand decay. <laughs> creation has been groaning. Don't you? Don't you groan about this thing that continues to beset, that continues to be a problem? Don't you groan within yourself? Groaning is the pains of childbirth to give birth to this new thing and become it and it alone. And we've also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. 
We too wait for eager hope for the day God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Now right here, I need you to see something else. I've been talking to you about what we see as the things that we see. Here's the problem. This is stuff I don't know. The stuff that God's showing me is stuff I don't know. I hear about it in the Bible, but I don't know it. I don't know it anywhere near as much as I know all this stuff I've done over here in this inside. I'm really good at this stuff. I know it really well. Right? But the stuff that's on the other side of that door, of that wall, I don't know what that stuff is. And that's one of the reasons why I keep choosing this. Because God does for me. The Holy Spirit helps me in my weakness. I don't know what God wants me to pray for. Just as one example. I don't know what God wants to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for me with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with will. The Father has what for me? What does the Father want for me? He wants me to stop living in this place that's killing me. He knows how it's killing you in ways you haven't begun to think or imagine. And he's grieved. He's not grieved at you. He's grieved that you're in bondage. He knows you're in bondage. What he's trying to do is he's trying to set you free. He's trying to get you to do this, to open the door to who he really is and to start to enter into something you do not know, a perspective that you have not seen. He's trying to get you to find and to see things from an entirely different perspective. Something beautiful, something mind-boggling. It has not even entered into the mind the things that God has prepared. Paul says, things too wonderful to even talk about. Want to have an incentive to choose the things of God over the things of the world? Understand, take the things of the world and understand every single one of them is nothing but a perversion of the incredible things that God has. It's the difference between a peach and a, and a spoonful of sugar. A life that is succulent, it's delicious, it's fantastic, and you can live on it. A thing of sugar is sweet too, but it kills you. And what he's trying to do is to get us to enter into something. I love this last shot. He wants to have us to go up and, and up through, this thing, through the things of life until they start falling away. And we begin to start entering into this whole new thing that he has. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation comes before you right now and we say, we want the clouds. We want the new thing. We want the thing that we don't know, but that you have. We want the thing that we don't understand, but we trust you like Abraham. We say that the things that you have for us are infinitely better than anything we've ever known. We are coming to you and saying, oh God, help us. Oh God, quicken us. In our times of need, when we are tempted, oh God, spring a vision of heaven on us. Not by our might, not by our strength, but by your spirit. Take us into the things that you have, the new creation that cannot sin, the one that you have made us, the one that truly is actually us. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. 
And I'm asking you for every person that has heard this as you have taken us to this pinnacle of Scripture. In Jesus' holy and precious name, cause it anew. Cause us to want the new. Cause us to live with our wants from the new. The wants that come out of the new nature cause those to be what we actually want. And more than anything else to the point that we simply walk away. We want the things of you. And so in Jesus' name, we reach down and we pick up these cups. And in the bottom cup, there's two cups. Pick them up. In that bottom cup is this life that we had led before, and it's broken. And in Jesus' name, Lord God, we take our fist, put it in there, and we break it again, saying, oh, it's infinite the number of ways in which I broke my relationship with you, in which I broke my own life. Wanting something, thinking it was good, but it wasn't. It wasn't the better that you had. And it worked to my slavery. We break this thing, recognizing that we did it. But now we turn to you on the cross and we say, beautiful Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Take this cup together. We lift up this other cup now in which is the the blood, the life. We know that the life is in the blood. And this is the life that you purchased for us at Calvary. You explained us to you explained to us of it in Paul, and we now know that it has to do with truly being new. We don't see it, we don't get it, we don't enter into it fully, but we know that what you have for us, what you made possible on that cross was for us to be born again. To be made new. To be of you. Oh, wow. This is what we take and drink today. The new life that you have for us. Just waiting. So we say, God, open our eyes and let us see how to walk in that. Thank you. That was Romans 1 through 8. What do you think? I agree. Ushers, could you come forward? Would you just thank God that he took Paul up into heaven and that he showed him what it was all about and then he let him say it so clearly to us? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, the things that you have done are so beyond our ability to understand. It is just magnificent. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, receive from our hand this gift, this offering, this thanksgiving. Thank you for explaining to me. Thank you for helping me to understand in a new way, at a new depth, what it is to be new. And I pour into you all that you've given me because you've given me all. In Jesus' name. When I'm lost.